Well, good morning. I'm Joel. It's good to be with you today. And we're jumping into a new series, 1 Corinthians. It's called Restore. I told my wife, she was a little mean to me. I was like, I'm so excited for this new series. She's like, don't tell them that. You say that every time. Um, but I just, I am so excited to see what God may do in so many lives in the midst of this series called Restore. It's going to be a lot of fun to be able to walk through uh, with 1 Corinthians and all that's taking place and what's happening. Um, we know that we begin today, of course, so we have this thing where I tell my kids all the time with school and everything else, uh, if I say start strong, they're going to say stay strong, finish strong. So it's start strong, stay strong, finish strong. The way you begin even a series matters. Um, I'm the guy who gets my kids to do two weeks of work in the first week of classes. So they start strong, they have greater freedom, and they can move forward with it in the way that they need to. So um, same thing with this. Take a lot of notes today. We're going to do an, an intro, and it's primarily intro today. We will jump into the first few verses. Um, in fact, I want to begin right now uh, with an intro um, that I want to read to you that, I wrote, that allows us just from taking different commentaries and everything else to understand what's about to happen over the next um, 18 years as we walk through 1 Corinthians. All right, you're there. Okay, good, you're there. Um, I was like, for a moment, I saw the glazing over already. When you're a communicator and you've been speaking for 30 seconds and you already see the glaze, you need a new job. Um, and so uh, here we go. 1 Corinthians. The greatest struggle of every person is a reckless promotion and pursuit of self. We were made to pursue Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the outright abandonment of morality, the rampant display of idolatry, and a bold and explicit display of self-centeredness has instilled pride and arrogance that is deep within the person and greater society. Self-indulgent lifestyles, division within the church, moral failure, and theological and doctrinal confusion has led to a dismantling of the person and of the family and the church. Fortunately, all of the chaos and the confusion can be renewed, restored with a clear understanding of Jesus. It's time for every individual to experience this restoration, for the, for the church to experience restoration. But to be restored requires repentance, an acknowledgement of our sin, and a spirit of humility. It requires faith, transformation, and obedience. It requires a deep faith tethered to the word of God. Restoration means replacing selfishness with love, putting down deep, deep, life-altering roots in biblical truth. It means fully living under the submission and under the lordship of Christ. And this, this is how the church can recover its mission and this is the prayer of Chapel Point, that every church would know its true mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And this leads to 
the Spirit of God moving in palpable ways to being a catalyst of spiritual awakening in a dry culture. Does God want for you to go on a journey of restoration? Restoration for a church always begins with the individual. Restoration for the church always begins with the individual. And it's not easy. It will require you to grow in your spiritual fortitude and for you to then invite accountability. And thankfully, the life of Jesus, his blood and the resurrection promises restoration. A new life, freedom is to be had for all who believe. Get ready for this journey that we all need. And I pray that you all will take. Because restoration is a journey for everyone. And it's a journey for this church. That's what we get to talk about over the coming months. Restoration. By the way, we would talk about restoration is this beautiful dresser right here. I love this bad boy. This is quality. Um, you can tell people have tried to finish it but haven't quite restored it all the way. We found this locally, so if this used to be in your house, I apologize. Somebody told me after the first service, they're like, you know, that might have been in my house before. I was like, was it? They're like, no, but what, they like played with my emotions, so they're going to hell. But um, I was like, man, this, this is what it's about right here, restoration. Right? And over the next month, you're going to see this dresser restored. Every week, you're going to see progress made over it. In, a, in about a month or so, hopefully it'll be finished, and we're going to auction off for like $3 million to pay off the building. Amen? <laughs> Who's in? I see hands. That's fantastic. You can each pay a million and just rotate whose house it gets to stay in. Um, yeah, like you just, it's been beat up. Um, the beauty of it has been used. And it, in many ways is a picture um, of some of the lives that are represented in this room right now and even at home. It's a picture of some of the marriages that are in this room. Like it still serves a function. Like you could open it up and you can throw some dishes in here and different things like that and pray that they don't fall out. Um, and it still serves a purpose, but it's just not what it was intended to be. It did not look like this when it was first made in 1703. <laughs> and that's some of your marriages. That's some of the relationships that you have, maybe with a friend that you used to be so close to and you, you're still a friend and you feel called by God to still be their friend, but it, it's just not what it was. And you need to experience restoration. Some of you need to know what that is in Christ Jesus. Some of you need to know what that is in terms of job or career or school. Uh, you need to experience restoration. Maybe for some it's with finances or um, you're actually just held captive by the wrong things. You're held captive by sexual immorality and lust and pornography and you have relationships with other people that may not be sexual but you emotionally have given your hearts to them and not to the other people in your life that's family and you need to experience restoration and I'm hoping that over the next several weeks as you get to see this restored you're also going to experience restoration for yourself and I say we just do it in the next month I think that the next project should be I'm not buying. I think we should auction this off and then we'll go to a 1956 356i Porsche restoration project and we'll let one of the pastors have it. Um, <laughs> I have a second, a second. 
wow, I don't like you. Um, it can be cars. It can be a dresser. It can be a house that you're restoring. And it can trigger the fact that we all need to experience restoration. Every one of us. And it's very similar to transformation, meaning that it's a continual process of growing in him. Because some of you came to know Christ a long time ago, and a long time ago you were beautiful, but you've never taken the opportunity to continually grow so that everything closes appropriately and stays closed. But you would rather stay as you are than have the humility to admit that you're a sinner and you're broken and you need help from Jesus. So that's what we get to talk about. That's kind of a process that we get to walk in the restoration journey. So I'm gonna, I wanna tell you a little bit about Corinth. I was able to be there just about a year and a half ago. Um, and it's an amazing uh, place. There's not much to it uh, left today. There are some remains certainly over the centuries. It's gone into disrepair in many, many regards. Um, but it's a wonderful place. And um, you're going to see that today, it's modern day Greece today. So let me take the first bit of time just to tell you about Corinth, if that's okay. You see, uh, this is the map of some of Paul's missionary journeys that he was taking. And you see it up here. You've got Athens and then Corinth to the left of that. So he had traveled a great way um, to come and to be a part of this church. He stayed there for 18 months, a year and a half. So here comes a lot of facts for you. Um, it was right there, Adriatic and the Aegean Sea, right in the midst of it in this isthmus that was really prominent in trade. In fact, the two things that it was most prominent in um, would be it was a hub of trade, but also a lot of wealth. Whenever you have a hub of trade, you have a lot of money and a lot of different people coming together. And when you have wealth, immediately in time, that leads to decay. You're like, oh, that's a bold that's a bold statement, Pastor. I don't know if you can make that. Well, we'll get to it later on. And you'll see that if you ever study world history uh, by far because you start to rely on self and morality is defined through Jesus Christ. And when you have wealth, you start to define morality based on your own power, which money leads to. And so as a result, it leads to decay. You see it over and over and over again, even with the Israelites and then since. Well, here's Corinth. In 146, Corinth was destroyed. 146, it was destroyed. About 100 years later um, is when uh, you've got Caesar coming back in and he starts to build it back up. And it was an amazing place um, in terms of all that they had. They had an outdoor theater that could seat 20,000 people. The athletic games was, was second only to the Olympics that were there in Athens and just what they were able to host. Yes, hub of trade, also more okay. Prostitution and sexual immorality was everywhere. Aphrodite, they had a, a, that's what they had that. You've heard Aphrodite. And then all of a sudden they had this temple there for Aphrodite. Over a thousand prostitutes every night would come down from the hills and come into the city. And it was just full of prostitutes. Constitution. Today, it's no different than, than it is today in terms of the number one idol in the United States of America and throughout the world is, uh, is sexuality. That's our true God in the United States of America. The very things that we see on a normal basis today, 40 years ago, would have considered pornography. But we worship sexuality. You see it in the way people dress. You see it in other regards. You see it in our magazines very, very easily. You see it in the ads on TV. Here are all the drugs that you need so that you can practice any type of sex you want. And it was no different then. 
Paul wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus, I think sometime between 55 and 57. Um, some people would put it a year or two later, but I think it was right in that range. There were at least 26 different places of worshiping different gods in Corinth. So that means that they are polytheistic. Mono meaning what? So monotheism, one God, right? Poly meaning multiple gods. Well, they had a lot of gods. What they did, they were so, uh, I would say, focused upon self. What a polytheist do is they just make up a God to serve their desires and their preferences. It's very self-serving. And so they had a bunch of different gods to serve whatever they wanted, and they just kept building the temples around that. Paul is writing to people about some significant problems. Here's some problems that might serve you well to write down. Um, Paul writes to the church in Corinth to address problems like division. A lot of division in the church, lack of unity. So sexual misconduct was huge. Confusion and misalignment with food practices and worship practices. There was controversy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, even today, a large denomination that started right here in this area, there are a lot of pastors within that that are questioning the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, there is no purpose and need for the church. If you ever listen to anyone else online or if you go to another church, go to the pastor and ask them, do you preach the full word of God and you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If they squawk on either of those, go somewhere else. And so they were questioning those things. I told you that it was destroyed by Rome already in 146 B.C. And here comes Julius Caesar in around 44 B.C. And it, he really gave it a new lease on life. But it was clearly now a Roman city uh, with still Greek influence to be felt through much of it. In fact, we, we can learn in Acts chapter 18... Uh, I want to go there for a bit because this tells us about what Paul was doing there. Um, Acts chapter 18, if you want to just write that down, and the first 17 verses helps us to understand it. I'm not going to read through all of it, but certainly some, because it, we already know that Paul had been in Philippi. The ministry in Philippi was going really well, but then you had some, um, I would say, some Jews that really just clamped down and said, this isn't the way we, are think, we think it's supposed to be. Um, and so at that point, um, these fanatical Jews in many ways uh, squelch some of that. Then you have his ministry in other places as well, such as Athens, where he had just come from. Athens had a little bit of success, but then you come to Corinth. Um, 18 months there, already mentioned that. And then he comes in. It says, Paul left Athens. There you go. Went to Corinth. That's Acts chapter 18, verse 1. So this is where we learn a lot about what was taking place there in the ministry. Um, he found Aquila and, and, and then also his wife Priscilla stayed there um, with them um, because they were the same trade. They would say tent makers. Others would say leather makers. But they were all in the same trade. They knew each other and they were able to be believers there together. Um, he tells us, verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now that's important. Jews and Okay. Jews and Greece. better. All right. So that's important because you had the Jews and then the Greeks that represented a lot of people, obviously, who are not Jews. But uh, a lot of diversity that's there in this hub of trade with so many people coming into this place. 
So he's ministering to absolutely everybody. But we know that the hostility of those who already believed one particular thing, they struggle. And this is no different than for us today. Some of us grew up with some type of particular faith, but because we grew up with that faith, we struggled to grow in our faith. Anything that wasn't a part of that, we are resistant to, rather than say, is it the word of God? Can I grow in it? That's called pride. Show me the word of God and what it says. So his friend Silas, Timothy, they were in Macedonia. They come as well. Paul was occupied. I love this. This is my prayer. It says Paul was occupied with the word. I would just love every day. I just want to be occupied with the word of God. He was occupied preaching the word of God and all that he did. He's testifying to the Jews and to th- that Christ was Jesus. And it says this. It says they opposed, verse 6, it says that they opposed and reviled him. Now, that is not nice. Like, it's, if somebody comes up to me and says, I oppose you, right? Uh, okay, common. Um, but revile? Like, that's... If you come up to somebody and say, I revile you, if you come up to me after this service and say, I revile you, that's even me, and I've got some thick skin, right? I have to. And yet that would hurt a little bit. That would sting. Feel that one. I revile you. Here are believers, Jewish people, right? Believers in God who say, I can't believe you're saying this. I revile you because it's different than what they already know. I revile, we, 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 we can't stand you. That'd be soft. They opposed, reviled him. And so this is his response. He shook out his garments and said, your blood is on your own head. I'm going to go preach to the, to the Gentiles, people who want to hear the truth. I'm going to go to preach to people who want to hear about Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly what he ended up doing. He went and preached to people who wanted to hear. And some people do not have ears to hear. Scripture speaks about this all the time. Ears to hear. Ears to hear. Ears to hear. And if you want to encounter restoration, you have to then ask yourself, do you have an ear to hear and to humble yourself before God, to repent before God so that you can be restored? You don't experience restoration simply by getting more of what you desire. You experience restoration by submitting and, and, and releasing your preferences and your desires in order to step into the desires of God. So he shook out his garments. Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent from now on. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Fine. You don't want to listen to me. I'll go talk to some other people. So he leaves there. Crispus is the ruler of the synagogue. Uh, they believed in the Lord together. Now, Crispus, you're going to learn more about because here's Crispus. He was the ruler of the synagogue who ends up losing his job or quitting or something like that because of his faith. And so they get rid of him. And then the next person, Sothenes, which is mentioned already for us in this passage in verse 1. You're going to see it in just a moment. He ends up taking his place and then he comes to know Jesus Christ. Boom, take that, people. Isn't that cool? Love how God works. It says, many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. That's one of the greatest uh, conundrums that we have in this society is baptism with all the Reformed churches. Many of you are from Reformed reformed churches. Some of you believe, but baptism is so prevalent in the Word of God. And so here they are. They're like, oh, well, we believe now this way. And so they get baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, I like it when you hear from the Lord. He's, 
Here's what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Everybody said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Say, do not be silent. So the Lord comes to Paul and very clearly says, listen, I know that they revile you. I know that they don't like you. I know that they're opposing you, but you just keep preaching. He knew the call of God on his life. That means even if all of you leave and there's only two or three of you left, maybe I pray at least five because I have that many family members. And if that's all that are left, if it's a call of God, I keep preaching. And it's no different for you. You have a call of God on your life that you're to live according to. It is not my job to make sure that everybody in this entire region knows Jesus Christ. It's my job to equip you so that you go preach the gospel with the way you live your life. You don't get off that easy. It says, do not be silent, for I am with you. Everybody say, I am with you. No matter how hard it gets, they revile you, they oppose you, but don't worry about it. I got your back. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Some of you just need to be encouraged by that right now. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. As dark as you think the day is, there are many who believe, and we got each other's back. Praise God. So let's stand up and not be silent. That is the role of Chapel Point. One of the greatest influences I believe Chapel Point can have throughout Michigan is if we can have thousands of people who have the boldness to stand and to teach and to preach and to speak the name of Jesus regardless of what the world says. Can we not be that church? And it's all up to you because I already told you the restoration of the church can't happen without the individual going through the restoration first. You are a picture of the church. If you don't like that somebody, you know, you know how it is, people go, hey, pastor, I love what you're doing. And as soon as they say, I love what you're doing, I'm waiting for the but. And that's what they do. But I go, hold up. Before you tell me a but, look in the mirror. Because the church is a picture of you, the individual. And then they walk away. And they bring me chocolate chip cookies. And it's a good day. <laughs> that I give away because I don't eat them. Acts chapter 18. Amazing. Says so verse 11 that he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He just kept preaching the word of God. And despite the difficulties and the discouragements, the blessing of God was upon the work, and the people there came in many ways to believe in Jesus Christ. And I think that even his friends coming and speaking about the ministry in Macedonia gave him a renewed sense of energy, and it says that he devoted himself exclusively to the preaching of the Word of God. We find this very, very clearly. In fact, if you go to 1 um, Corinthians, we'll finally get the first. We will. We're going to walk through at least three verses of 1 Corinthians today. Um, so we get to 1 Corinthians, even in one seventeen. I love this about Paul because this encourages me. Um, words are hard for me, which is the irony about me being a preacher. And, um, and so when he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of elegant wisdom, one of my kids already said, Dad, this is good for you. It's like, <laughs> they stayed in the Philippines <laughs> with people I don't know. But to preach the gospel and not with words of elegant wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We don't have, listen, there's some communicators. They can make you cry. They can make you laugh. They can tell you stories that are awesome and all these different things. My job isn't to make myself sound smart. My job is to tell you about Jesus. That's it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's no other way to have eternal life other through belief and faith in him. That's it. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest.
That's what we get to be about. So all of this is being called out for us, and we'll dive in more to that next week with that verse particularly. Um, but here, we then jump into 1 Corinthians because here he is preaching and doing this marvelous thing. So let's go ahead right now and jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Will you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? And I'm about to start speaking really fast because I'm really behind. <laughs> We've got 30 minutes before the next... Oh, we got time. We're going. They can wait. Amen? Amen. Listen, if you love the Word of God, you'll walk from wherever you have to walk from, and you'll sit on the floor right here. Bring a pillow next week. We need that. Sit on the floor. If you get the teaching of the Word of God, would you not do more for that? Amen? I mean, like, seriously, we got to, we got to start. Oh, come on. In fact, um, who's ready for the Word of God? Anybody? Good, because I'm going to let you read the entire thing. Right? First Corinthians chapter one, one through three. I will get you started. Sothenes. Everybody say Sothenes. That's just to help you because the first service was embarrassing. Um, they're like, um, no, didn't get that one right. Um, so let's go ahead and read this together. Ready? All together. Paul called by the will of God. is the word of God. You may be seated. One of the primary themes as we dive into these first three verses, all we're going to be able to tackle today. Um, the next, next week is 1 Corinthians 1 all the way up to 17, 4 through 17. Um, so if you want to get ahead and prepare for that in, in your reading, I would encourage you to read it a, a few times. Um, that's all I did on the plane ride uh, to the Philippines. I just kept reading the first six chapters over and over and over and over and over again. In fact, I gave it to my son, the Bible. He wanted to read the first couple of chapters. He's like, Dad, if you highlight more, there's really no need because um, it's just like all of it. But um, you look at it, and it's this amazing passage, and here comes Paul. Right away, what we find is this. One of the questions at play was people, people were questioning Paul's apostolic credentials. He doesn't, this is not um, one, I would say, the, the normal intro for Paul in a letter that he was writing. Um, they were questioning his apostolic credentials. And so he's going to go ahead and address that right away. He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's letting them know, listen, here I am. This is what I'm called to do by Jesus Christ. Either you can come along with it or not, but he's letting them know. He's not one, um, we, we already know this, of course, right? Um, but he is someone who's not one of the original followers of Jesus Christ. We already know about his conversion in Acts chapter 9. Saul rode to Damascus, bright light, surrendered to Jesus Christ. So much so at that very moment, he was hated by both the believer and the non-believer because the believer didn't trust him. And so he had to be lowered in a basket in Damascus, go to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem to the believers, and the believers don't trust him. They're like, wait, that's the guy who has given persecution to us. Why should I trust this guy? You remember all this story by heart? You know it? Okay, good. Um, so here he is, and they're questioning his credentials about to preach the word of God. And as a result of that, he's letting them know, here I am. 
Now, you need to understand, apostles, we believe capital A apostles, that was back in the day with Jesus Christ. Today, there are lowercase apostles, um, people who um, are championing um, the movement of God. But here he comes, he's like, listen, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, chosen by him, and I have a call of God on my life, and I'm going to preach. So right away, he's like, you need to know the authority that I have so that you listen to the words that I am to give. Right? Straight away. And it's a... He's going to speak throughout this book about the centrality of, of Jesus. This is one of the primary themes is the centrality of Jesus, the cross, and the resurrection when it comes to 1 Corinthians, and you've got to have all three. Another issue he's going to address is the lack of unity or conflict that is there. Unity is the antidote to conflict, by the way. Unity is the antidote to conflict. Unity is the antidote to conflict. Unity is the antidote to conflict. And they had a lot of people compromising. Well, what's the issue? What's the solution for compromise? Holiness. Holiness, righteousness is the cure for compromise. Because here's what was taking place. They, you had a bunch of people, you're going to see this in the Word, um, but they were living according to the world because they had so much wealth, so many different people coming in with different thoughts. They had all these different gods, at least 26, Aphrodite, 1,000 prostitutes coming down every night coming into the city, all types of just horrendous things behaving uh, with the behaviors with the people. And so here's the world. And then over here is the word of God and Jesus. And what they're doing is they're battling every day, it seems, going back and forth between those different things. And like, am I going to live according to the world? Am I going to live according to the word of God? Am I going to live according to the world? Am I going to live according to the word of God? Anybody deals with this every day? That's what they're coping with. And there, I mean, there's, this is a real issue for them. And they're having to figure out what to do and how to move forward with all of it. And he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and to our brother Sothenes, he's letting them all know, listen, I'm coming to minister to you, but also to provide guidance and direction because we're to be sanctified. To be sanctified, that's a biblical world. We're gonna, we use biblical words and just tell you what they mean, but we don't use church words. Does that make sense? Sanctification is a, is a biblical world, word, and it means to be set apart by Jesus Christ, to be saved, but to be sanctified, to be made pure before him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. To be made holy by Christ through the gospel. And he's letting them know, man, we're called to be saints together. So here's this young church. They're spiritually immature, but they're living according to the world so often and the church, and this is what's happening today, because the church was battling so much that you had these believers who are living according to the world, but the church wasn't keeping them in check. It's one of the greatest problems in lack of unity in churches today is people don't know theology and doctrine anymore. They don't know it. Hear me say this. Listen, I have a lot of Bibles, a few dozen at least. Um, coolest one I have from 1605, Geneva Bible. It's really cool, a long story, but anyway, you should be jealous. Um, and if you're not, eh, you need sanctification. Um, but the church, because they didn't fully know what they believed, they, were not, they weren't checking the people about how they were living. Hello today. The church... They have more fear of losing people than they have courage to hold people accountable to the word. But you have to remember, people are like, how do you, how do, you do this? I'm like, friends, here's the key. 
I have more concern about the accountability that I have before God than I care about your preference of me. And so when we look at this, this intro that Paul is giving is direct, it's to the point. There's no commendation of the believer. He says, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sothenes, get ready. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Anybody sanctified? Amen. Woo! Called to be saints together. Everybody say, saints together. together. One more time. These words are so significant to me because uh, for me, it's one of the things that gets me so excited. I'm so blessed and honored to be one of the saints in this church to be able to serve together with brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to preach the name of Jesus no matter what, to be able to live according to his word, to be governed by his instruction and through his guidance as he directs the way that we move as an individual church congregation and as we reach out into this region. We get to be saints. We get to do this together. Some of you feel alone. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to do this alone. You have a lot of people who will be church with you, saints together. We're called to be saints together. To be church together. Ecclesia. Right? We already know that word. Hopefully you know that word well. It means assembly together. So here's the assembly. We get to be the assembly coming together. That's why Sunday's one of the reasons Sunday coming together corporately matters so much. And so we get to be that assembly with one another. So Paul is calling the gathering of the Christians in Corinth An assembly because he's not gathering of the world, he's gathering the people of God. Verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The greeting, including grace and peace, um, that's something that would have been typical of one, of one of Paul's letters, his introductions. He would often speak of grace. Grace is important because it reminds us of our brokenness, but also now what can be our wholeness through the power of Jesus Christ. It lifts you up. Peace that there's not going to be a removal of opposition. But in the midst of opposition, in the midst of opposition, God will be faithful. That's what we get to walk through. Some of you don't even have unity in your own marriage. I feel free in telling this story. I didn't tell it in the last one, but this person is going to go to the church. It was a friend of mine, and they were um, in front of me, um, he and his wife. And on multiple occasions, I, I kept seeing him roll his eyes at her about things that she would say. I said, Do you, brother, I said, pulled him aside. I said, brother, you got to stop. You don't respect your wife. You're, you're not leading her well. You're rolling your eyes when she speaks because you don't approve maybe of everything she's saying rather than leading her and lifting her up in the name of Jesus. Don't ever do it again. First, guess what he did? And this scared me because he's a large man. He bowed up on me. I thought I was going to no longer be able to preach. And he says, well, I know what you say, mature leaders, about accountability, and you're right. 
I have things I need to pray about differently. Got a phone call. This made me cry two days ago. I didn't know she had filed for a divorce and now she took it back. She withdrew it. We're desperate for restoration in this world, friends. Do not let this opportunity pass you by to evaluate your own life, your own relationships, your own marriages, because every one of them could stand for some more restoration through the power of Jesus. And if you don't think you have things in your life that need to be restored, that need to be surrendered to God, you are full of pride and you need to repent. And men, if you want to lead your homes well, today you should be one of the very first, you should be the first person to call your families together and say, guys, here's some things that we need to experience restoration in. Can we pray? How about growing in that spiritual fortitude? And I pray that you know his grace, that you understand his peace in the midst of the hardship and the difficulty. But friends, we need some restoration. Because the lack of restoration has done nothing but lead to confusion and heartache and destruction and difficulty. So my prayer is that you, yes, would know his grace and peace, but my prayer also is that you would have the courage to take this journey of restoration. But I want to pray for that right now. So I'm going to ask that every single person just close your eyes, even at home, and I want to pray over you right now. Just go ahead and close your eyes because I'm not going to ask this just about you, but if you know if you know you need restoration or if you know someone else who does or if your marriage needs greater restoration or a relationship that you have or financial restoration, whatever it is, if you know of something that needs restoration in your life, I want you to raise your hand. Yeah, it's all of us. Keep, keep them up. Everybody should know, if you don't know something that needs greater restoration in your life, you're oblivious. You're living for self and you're not even focused upon God. That's the reality of it, friends. And so, Lord, I call out these very things from every single man, every single woman, every single child, that they would know restoration through the power of Jesus, that marriages would be restored. Praise God. I'm thanking you now for the marriages that will be restored. I'm thanking you now for the relationships that will be mended that will grow and be refreshed and renewed and the power of the blood of Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. I'm praying that other churches would step into restoration. God, I'm thanking you now for bringing hundreds, thousands of churches within America to a place of restoration in the next year so that tens of thousands of people will hear the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And God, many of us are blind to the areas that we need need restoration because we're so consumed with living according to the world and porn and lust and confusion and financial desires and wealth and money and all of these issues come into play, God, and they're blinding us. Remove the blinders. 
Remove the blinders. Remove the blinders. Remove our blinders. We have them, God. I know we do. But yet I know your grace is greater than all we could ever dream, all we could ever imagine. Please, oh God, have your way. Have your way. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Have your way. Restore these friends of mine. Restore them, God. Do not let them leave this place remaining the same. Let them step into a journey that is going to be hard, that is going to be difficult, and it's going to require them to repent and to come before you with humility. But Lord, may we see your movement. In Christ's name.